Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning Bezat Hashem, Daf Yud Ches in Maseches Yuma, and we're starting amazingly in Daf Yud Ches in Maseches Yuma, and it's on the fourth wide line where we have the Mishnah. By way of introduction, Zalman Dov told me like he likes when I tell stories. So Zalman Dov, um, the Shloshim of his father Nelson Svi is coming up soon. So we are going to Leil Nishmaso. We've been learning this Masechet in addition to Rav Chaim Zev Malinowitz, Zatzal. And so we're going to uh, throw Zalman Dov a bone and tell him a quick story as follows. There was, in Ramat Beit Shemesh, uh, a lot of the Americans, I used Mutti the cab driver. Mutti the cab driver is the best ever. Some people like to use Yitzik the cab driver. Okay. So he used to drive people around. He was very pleasant and he was very punctual. So we were hosting a Sheva Brachos once. Somebody married uh, a guy who was a Israeli. And I mean like a real Israeli, not an Israeli-American, and not even Israeli Haredi. He was like, he went to the Tzava, and then later on he became from, and he found somebody, and he was getting married, and they are making Sheva Brachos at our house. And we only had nine men. So I thought, now Yitzik was a very respectful cab driver, but we needed the tenth man. He was waiting outside for somebody. He, he had driven... Uh, somebody, my uncle, whoever it was, uh, to the Sheva Brachos. So I, I needed a tenth man. I go and I say, Yitzik, the cab driver, come inside. We have food. Uh, we need a tenth man for the Sheva Brachos. He's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's not necessary. I said, please come in. Okay. We prevail upon him. He comes in. He eats something. He enjoys himself. Time for the Sheva Brachos. He gets a Sheva Bracha and he says it. He struggles a little bit with the words. Uh, but he gets through it. But the Chatan turns to me and mouths the word, I'll never forget, because, see, sometimes it takes an Israeli to understand these things. Us in Ramat Beit Shemesh, us Americans, didn't always understand all the nuances of Israeli society. The Chatan turns to me, and based on the accent, he mouths to me the words, Hu Aravi. Okay? Yitzik, the cab driver, was, an, was not Yitzik, but he was probably more likely Ishmael. Okay, the cab driver. He was an Arab cab driver who had found a niche in the American community, and they all thought that he was Yitzhak, the Israeli cab driver. They didn't, couldn't tell the difference between an Israeli and an Arab, which was rough for the Shavar Brachos. But anyways, be that as it may, uh, that is the kind of loss of innocence one can experience when you read the Mishnah on Yedches and read Daf Yedches and Maseches Yuma. Because we've been talking about the Kohen Gadol, and... When you read Dafir Chesim Yuma, it's unmistakable. You bring the coin Gadol with all this pomp and circumstance. You quarantine him for the seven days, as we've discussed. Today we're back in Yuma, and we're going to start talking about the, the real preparation of the coin Gadol as he embarks on this holy day. And sure enough, these guys, now the Gemara is quick to point out, this is by Shani, not by Rishon. By Rishon, there was a meritocracy. By Shani, he just went to the highest bidder. And a lot of times the people who had the most money weren't necessarily the most pious, certainly not the most learned. Uh, it's nice that this is what they want to spend their money on, but a lot of it had to do with the covet and the recognition. And some of them were like essentially illiterate, like literally illiterate. And so how do you do this? So, 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 so for some people, it's like this shocking loss of innocence. There's no way around it. You'll see in the Gemara. Now, when you look at that, I heard a shear. I was looking to hear a shear yesterday from Rabbi David Katz, Shlita. And he related it to this week's Parsha, because it's a calendrical coincidence. We read in Parsha's Emma, we read about the Kohanim. 
So he said, it's interesting, when it comes to Kohanim, there's uh, disqualification of a mum, right? A guy, God forbid, was in a car accident. And now he's kind of disabled. So why? But he could be a big Talmud Chacham Goranowitz. Why shouldn't he be able to bless the people? Why can't he do Avoda? Why is this, why is this mum puzzle? And we'll see today also that even in the Ba'is Rishon, the qualifications, as it says in the Torah, to become a Kohen Gadol, you had to be not only learned, but you had to be wealthy and you had to be handsome. I mean, who cares about wealthy and handsome? How is this a value in our, how is this part of our value system? So we see, however, the Kohanim had vestments, the, they had fancy clothes, the base of Mikdash was a fancy building, the Mishkan was a fancy uh, uh, thing. I mean, so we see that there's some importance to it. How do we relate to that in Judaism? And so, and also, so, um, so Rabbi David Katz was explaining that we, ex- we appreciate, okay, um, <coughs> the fact that people do sometimes rally around pomp and circumstance and formality. So the analogy he gave was, you have the Queen's Palace in England, right? And you have the beef eaters or whatever they're called, the, uh, the guards. So you know what? If, you have, if, if the guards are tall and sturdy, right, and they, and they fit a certain description, it gives off a certain sense of awe and, and uh, inspiration to people who see it. And it gives off a vibe, okay? So, what, so, so you could say, okay, well, it's not fair. You should have, you know, a middle-aged, four-foot-eight Jewish woman guarding the, the palace of the queen. It's like, okay, I mean, you could do that, and we don't want to discriminate. But, you know, if you're trying to give off this vibe, so maybe it just doesn't work without the, without the kind of pageantry that we're looking for. In other words, we're not trying to discriminate because we say, sim- he says, conversely, it would also be true, right, that if, that, that, that we don't, for example, when we're giving a Nobel uh, Prize in physics, so we don't care what the person looks like. Stephen Hawkins is highly regarded as, right, uh, a genius in the area of physics, and nobody complains uh, about how he looks, right? He, he wouldn't make a good beef eater, but we wouldn't want, want to just give the Nobel Prize in phys- physics to one of the beef eaters, eaters either, right? In other words, they, they didn't do anything to deserve it. So the, the idea of roles is, is important. Now, the Chiddush is that, let's say you had Rav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita, the base of the Mikdash is going to be built, and let's say he, he lived in the Bayez Sheni. The Chiddush is that the Gedolim, the Chachamim, the Sanhedrin, had to buy into this guy, right? That's really the Chiddush. You know, that's what Rabbi David Katz is talking about. They have to sort of tolerate an illiterate Kohen Gadol after all that, after all that we're discussing with the Kohen Gadol and everything that's going on in Masechah we have to tolerate the fact that the Kohen Gadol is basically a knucklehead, okay? Like, for lack of a better term. I mean, there probably is a better term, but he's... Why didn't the Gadolim speak out against it, Right? Uh, Barry's asking a great question. In other words, this is clearly a corrupt system. You know, why would anybody buy into this? Why are we, have, why are we dealing with Mishnayis here, where the Sanhedrin and the Chachamim and they're taking this guy? You know, I mean, today too, you know, you see who, who, who's being given kavod, in the, in, even in the Siyam Shah sometimes, or even in these other things, who's being given, you know, the benefactors are being paraded around and given a lot of kavod. Why did they tolerate this? Is it because they gave so much money to the base of Mikdash like we needed it that much? Um, so 
I don't know the real. I don't actually know the answer. Maybe they maybe they tried to speak out against it. I don't know. What I do know is I think Rav David Katz is is saying something brilliant, which is our attitude is that even though we recognize the importance of pageantry and that there is such a thing and that it does galvanize, inspire people in a certain way, we don't take it seriously in a cause and effect kind of way. In other words, we don't think that our kapara is going to depend on the piety of this kind gadol, right? It's a formality that the Torah prescribed for whatever reason, but we're not going, our fate is not going to be based uh, it's not going to hang in the balance based on the piety of this Kohen Gadol or how learned the Kohen Gadol is. It's, it's really not him. It's really us and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. We just got to make sure that he doesn't uh, uh, mess up the actual avoda. But it's just a very interesting uh, perspective on the, which part of these karbanas, like how pious does that person need to be and how sincere does that person need to be. As long as he goes through the motions, then we're okay with it. I mean, it's clear. So it's just an interesting perspective. We're okay with him going through the motions because we don't take it too seriously. We don't think that uh, our lives are hanging on, on, on his piety. You know, I have um, in Israel, um, Blumi was my office manager, and she's a Biana Chassid, okay? So when it comes to, and this is real calendrical coincidence because today is Lav, Lav Baomer. So it's one of the, uh, Lav Baomer is one of the best, it's one of the most holiest days of the year. Uh, a lot of people actually don't say Tachlan on Israchag of Lav Baomer. Anyways, the, um, it's the holiest day for her. Why? Because the Biana Rebbe is the one that lights the big fire in Meron on Lav Baomer. That's been going on now for many, many, many years. And so the Biana Hasidim take this very seriously. She takes like almost like a quarantine of seven days off and she's there in the front row you know, days in advance. And she, for her, it's a religious experience, right? Um, you know, she's saying to Hillary and everything like that. And I can't confess, I used to harass her quite a bit because I would point out, you know, that this lighting of the fire in Meron, uh, as far as religious significance, on a scale of one to 10, it's like somewhere between zero and one, as far as religious significance. I mean, somebody said somewhere, maybe fire, maybe Roshim Rai but like, what does this even mean? And to her, it's the, it's, it's the holiest day. So it's the Havdil, but it's not it really. This is, Rav David Katz himself mentioned Hasidus as something that was recently developed, where you have power invested, right, in an individual, um, almost ascribing some of, some like divine authority to this individual. So, you could say, and even like Baomer, right? So if you think it's cause and effect, if you think that there's a cause and effect, like if you do this, this, and this on, on this day, then Hashem has no choice but to offer you all the blessings of the world. So that's kind of getting close to paganism, right? That's not what we believe. But if you believe, listen, we have pageantry and it inspires people. And certainly for, in the case of Blumi, like inspired her to say tremendous Tehillim and, and, to, and to really beseech Hashem. So that's a different thing, right? If you're directed towards Hashem, so then it's just another thing that gives you a visual and a feeling of directing you towards Hashem. And that is certainly applauded, right? But if you think it's causality, like because we're doing these things that aren't even, prescri- these things that, that if we don't do it, 
then Hashem isn't going to listen. So that's already a different thing. So uh, we try to have like in everything, my mother always says, that in Judaism you have to have a, a balance, that you have to be able to sometimes even balance in the sense of being able to absorb two contradictory things at the same time. And so here we have these two contradictory things. On one hand, the coin Gadol was, uh, was functionally illiterate at times. And on the other hand, um, we still buy into it to an extent that we go through the motions and we do, and we do the avoda. And so maybe that Reverend David Katz's perspective is, is part of the idea that, that the person himself, just a healthy understanding that the human being is just flesh and blood. So it doesn't totally matter who we put him in there as long as he does what Hashem prescribed. And, uh, as long as he does so, we can, div- um, we can um, derive inspiration, right? Regardless of of whether the, the the thing that's being done itself is really the cause causative thing. Ultimately, the only cause and effect is our piety and our sincerity and our chesed and the Torah chesed and gemilos chasadim that we do uh, vis-a-vis Hashem. That's the only thing that really ultimately matters. And all of these external things are just to get us inspired to that point. Okay, that's my Lagba Omer speech. Okay, so now we resume with the Mishnah. With that, with that in mind, we go like this. Says the Mishnah, So the Ziknei Bezdin are like the Sanhedrin, right? Those are Chachamim. That's the other thing Rav David Katz points out, right? You look at Tanakh, right? Even in Nevi'im, you don't, you don't ever see, oh, they went to the Chacham. They went to the Rosh Hashiva. They went to the Rabbi. They went to the Shofet. They went to the Navi, right? So, you know, once the base of Mikdash was destroyed, so now we hold on to the Torah, we have our Rosh Yeshiva, and we have our Rabbis. But um, anyways, so the Sanhedrin was always there. And those are the Zakanim here. They were really the rabbis. So they would mustru lo. They would uh, provide for the Kohen Gadol, teachers basically, right? Guidance. And what do they do? So they would basically, right, go over. During the seven-day quarantine, there would be a lot of practice that would go on where they would go over what he has to do on the day of Yom Kippur. Because again, this guy was not necessarily a big time of he wasn't. He was not chosen for his expertise in the Avodah Yom Kippur. That would have helped, but he was not. And therefore, we needed to get him uh, up to speed so that he actually performs the Avodah. And this is what they say to him. Ishi Kohen Gadol. Okay, Mr. Kohen Gadol. Let's hear you read it with your own mouth. <laughs> they want to make sure that he could read this. Um, all the things, right, that he's going to have to say. Um, uh, if we can hear you enunciate the words, then we know that, in fact, you, you know what you need to do. Shema shachachta or shema lo lamarata. Farshim say, shema shachachta may have been bias rishon. Like maybe it's probably, it's unlikely in bias rishon that you had a Kohen Gadol that had not learned this, but it's still possible, I guess, that he would have forgotten or even worse, Shema Lola Madata. Here you are, you're the coin Gadol representing all of Klal Yisrael, and you never even learned what to do. That's possible too. Wow. Then it's getting game time, and now we're getting nervous. Erev Yom Kippurim Shachros. So now it's early morning on Erev Yom Kippur. Mamidin Bashar Mizrach. So they put him at the eastern gate. Umavirin Lafan of Parim Ve'elam Mikvasim. So now it's getting real. So now we're doing like dress rehearsal, and we're showing him. You know, you're going to have to deal with these animals because you're going to be doing the carbonus. So here's a cow, and here's an ox, and here's a ram, and here's a sheep. Like, this is what, um, this is what we're going to be working with tomorrow. 
Kedei she'yeh makir v'ragil b'avodah. So that he could get accustomed and acclimated to the avodah that he's going to have to do. So that was, uh, so that's how the Mishnah starts. Then the Mishnah continues to say, kol shivasayamim, this was every day of his quarantine. Lo ha'yumonim imenu machalo mishtah. They would let it, it was all you could eat. You could eat whatever he wants, it's fine. But once it gets to Erev Yom Kippur, right? Erev Yom Kippur already, a nightfall, right? They didn't want him to eat excessively at that point. Because we don't want him to sleep in and sleep through the Avoda. He's got to get up real early. And as we'll see, there are other considerations also, as we'll see in the, in the Gemara, uh, as to certain foods that will perhaps bring him to become a Balkari and become Tameh, we also want to avoid that as well. So as we started the Gemara, the Gemara says like this. First of all, we said that we asked him, maybe you forgot or maybe you never learned it in the first place. So the Gemara says, never learned it? We're going to have a Kohen Gadol here who never even learned the Avodah? What kind of business is this? Bishlei Mashem HaShachach. I can understand he learned it and maybe he forgot it. This is an inconvenient thing to forget if you're going to the Kohen Gadol, but at least I can understand it. Lechaye. It's a reasonable possibility. El Hashem Lamad. What do you mean? He never learned it? Who is this guy? Where do you ever hear of a Kohen Gadol that never went to Hebrew school? The Hatanya. After all, we even have a Brisa. The Brisa says, Vakoin Hagadol Me'echav. Where does it say that? So it says, right, in, in uh, Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra, it says, Vahakoin Hagadol Me'echav Vashiyutzaka Rosho Shem and Mishcha Umilei Sidoli Lubosha Sabgadim Right, so this is going to be the coin, the coin that you're going to anoint as the coin gadol. So whenever we anointed the coin gadol, it's not necessarily with regards to uh, Yom Kippur per se, but we see that when you anoint a coin gadol, you take one who is gadol me'achav, right? He has to be a gadol amongst his brethren. So this, what kind of gadol is this that never even learned the Avodos Yom Kippurim? Says, and, and, in fact, we had the following drasha. As we mentioned in our introduction. He has to be, stand out. He has to stand out amongst his brethren in physical strength, in beauty, in handsomeness, in, in wisdom, and in wealth. And also point out there that if he stands out in every one of those categories except for his wealth, that we give him money, we wealthify him, right? We, we put money in his bank account. Okay, now he's greater than wealth. Uh, how do we know this? So they have an additional drasha here that even if he comes in with all, if he comes in with all those things other than the wealth, so then his brethren will uh, make him wealthy and then he'll have all the qualifications. So one of those uh, criteria was Chachma. So what kind of Chachma is it to not even know anything about the Avodah Yom Kippurim? To which the Gemara answers, Amar Yosef, lo kasher. Kan b'mikdash rishon, kan b'mikdash sheni. Right? That the whole idea was, uh, as Rashi points out, it was only in Bayes Rishon that you had this Doraisa over here, Drasha of Akoin Gadol Me'echav. And as Barry asks, how did they do away with this? How did they do away with that? Well, the Hashemunayim king, right? Everybody was, I mean, there was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of corruption. The Gemara is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to point it out right now. Because in the Mikdash Sheni, the Amar of Asi, Tarkava de Dinare, right? This is a, a lot of gold dinarim. In other words, 
it was what they call a godfather offer, right? Ayalale Marta Basbaisus, a lot could be said on the history of Marta Basbaisus. Here she is, the Marta, the, the, the daughter of Baisus. Um, she brought, she was a, a very, very wealthy widow, right? And she liked, uh, she married Yeshua ben Gamla, and she wanted her husband to be the Kohen Gadol. Okay, so now there was Yanaya Melech, and basically, um, it turns out that she, having that money and wanting her husband so, to be the Kohen Gadol, she gave Yanaya Melech, who was a corrupt king, this giant godfather offer. So that's what it says. Tarkava the dinare ayalale marta baspaisus layanai malka ad ukme le Yeshua ben Gamla bechane ravrave. In order to make right her husband Yeshua ben Gamla, who she was, I think, engaged to or married to, um, she had to be married because she. By the time he had to be, he was kohen gadol. Um, he needed to have a wife. Anyways. Highest bidder. She gave Yanai Melech. So that, that's an interesting aspect in itself, Barry wants to point out, I'm sure. Who appoints the Kohen Gadol? Like, in other words, who are you giving this money to? Who's making this decision? So it sounds like the king makes the decision, right? That's an interesting appointment. In other words, who makes the decision? So uh, if you have a Navi, maybe the Navi, right? I don't know. It sounds like, certainly from here, that the king is the one that appoints the Kohen Gadol. So right away, you see... This is, uh, once you get to political positions, um, you know, who knows what kind of considerations go into who gets a political position. So it looks like the coin Gadol was, uh, became politicized and therefore became monetized. And so she, uh, Marta Baisus, was able to get Yeshua ben Gamla. And so this is to show she was able to get him to be the coin Gadol, showing, demonstrating that, in fact, it was a position that was Sold out to the highest bidder in the Bayes Cheney. Okay. Fine. So that's the loss of innocence, guys. Now we're in the middle of page two dots. Erevim Kippurim Shachar. So what are we talking here about these animals? So the Gemara says, Tana. We have a Bryce that says, Afs Irim. Right? Uh, before, we mentioned the ox and the sheep. But what about the he, the he goats? Okay. What, so, so the Bryce says that they also were brought in front of the Kohen Gadol to familiarize him, because after all, how many, how many Seirim were brought in Kippur? Anybody know? So everybody, if you ask most people, they'd say two. But really it was three, right? Obviously two of them were the Seir, right? La Shem and Seir La Azazel, right? Famously the one that gets thrown off the cliff and the one that's designated um, as a Korban Chatas, but there was also the Korban, the Korban Chattas of the Musaf, of the Musafim. So anyway, there were three Seirim uh, involved in the Avodas Yom Kippurim. V'tana didan, my time alotana Seirim. Question is, why does our Tana not mention the Seirim? So the Gemara answers, there's a reason why you don't always mention Why? Kei mandal chait ka'asu chal shodayte. Because the Seir, right, when you, when you, when you t- account for all three Seirim, so the one Lazazel, we can understand, uh, why he didn't have to familiarize himself with it that much, but even though the other two are brought as a chatas. So by definition, they're bringing up, right, a sore topic because the seir is really going to de- de- put everybody in down mode. It's a, it's a downer because it's reminiscent of all the averos. Okay. It's an interesting reason not to show him seir. He has to do the avoda anyway, 
Okay, but we're, we have a balance with this coin Gadol. We want him to go in with a positive attitude. Okay. So, um, interestingly enough, Artskol quotes the Me'iri. He says, if you, if you, if you get into the coin's head, thinking about the Chatas, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause him to have some, some degree of despair about whether his tefillos are going to be accepted. And we really want, so again, it's this balance, right? The guy barely knows how to read Hebrew, but we, we want him, as he's performing the avoda, we don't want him to have sort of like a casual attitude of just, of just like, you know, um, I don't know, a guy putting away the carts in a supermarket at the end of a long day. We want him to really feel sincere tefillah. So for that reason, we have some sort of balance in terms of how we have to prepare him, but we also want him to go in with positive attitudes. So it's just an interesting dynamic that's going on here. A lot to say, as you can imagine. Anyway, um, okay, the Gemara then says, well, if the whole idea is to keep him in positive state of mind, so he hachi parinami al chetu dasi, right? Uh, there is also, right, a, right, not just, it, the par is also lachatas. So why are we showing him the par? So the Gemara says, no, par came with love Since the par, this is a fascinating idea, since the par is going to give kapar for the Kohen Gadol himself and also his Kohen crew, in other words, the par, the chata, the interesting, the, the, you learn something here, the atonement of the par covers the Kohen Gadol himself and his inner circle, his, his Kohen crew, okay? So that's a manageable uh, sample size where, you know what, that crew, that inner circle can prepare themselves for Yom Kippur and do tshuva. In other words, they can get into right repentance mode and therefore it's not discouraging because they're being told you guys could do tshuva focus on your own tshuva and therefore the power we're going to mention it to you and as far as your own tshuva focus on yourself and don't worry about everybody else right as long as it's in your own control then you'll be able to then you'll be able to do it you'll be able to manage it and you don't have to get down on yourself on the contrary, get busy and do it. Like, right, I give kids Invisalign, they don't want braces. They say, I don't want braces, I want Invisalign. So I say, okay, I'm gonna give you Invisalign, and if you wear it, you won't need braces. And if you don't wear it, you will need braces. And they say, but I don't want braces. I say, right, well, it's entirely in your control. All you have to do is wear your Invisalign. It's a terrible analogy, but it's not that bad, because it means it's biyarcha, right? It's in their control to do tshuva for their little crew. That's for them, okay? An interesting idea. Uh, that they would know if somebody among them was in fact doing uh, something wrong and then everybody, that's, they can manage it and do tshuva. However, once you get to the Seir, which is doing tshuva for all of Kal Yisrael, so then that, that's, a, that's a universal chatas for all of Kal Yisrael, so you can't control that. And that's just beyond anybody's control, and therefore that is a depressing thought, and therefore uh, that seir we don't introduce to him. And Ravina points out sort of like a life lesson from this as follows: Hainu inchi. This is inconsistent with what people say, which is ibar achaseich dayelahave. If your um, nephew is a policeman, chaze b'shuka kamei you better avoid him in the street. Meaning what? People who are in your circle know you well enough 
that you shouldn't, that they know your, your uh, dirty laundry and don't expect, right? People know each other's business if they're, if they're in enough. And so if you um, have anything to hide, you should hope that they're not a policeman. And if they are a policeman, so then just try to kind of keep them, uh, keep at a distance because they're going to have no choice but to turn you in, so to speak. It's another way of saying familiarity be, ble- uh, breeds uh, contempt or really the idea over here is also just the idea that when people are close and they spend a lot of time with each other, they eventually get to know each other's stuff and therefore it's important um, to understand that the Kohanim knew, the inner circle knew each other's stuff, and therefore they were able to do teshuva together. Uh, this is, this is something that can be used for good, right? We have Vadim, Vade Musar, very popular, um, in, in a lot of yeshivas over the years. And so you have a crew, and everybody is very, um, earnest and honest with each other, and you have these things, uh, of groups where there's a lot of familiarity, but you help each other out, do tshuva, we want to right, encourage that kind of dynamic over here with the Kohen, Gadol, and his crew. Very good. Okay, so now 12 lines up, two dots. Kol this idea of the food. So the Brisa says, Tanya, All right, so this is going to be one of these Gemaras where they're going to talk about nutrition, and we're not really sure what the actual... Um, Right, physical reality sciences today, but basically they would feed him foods containing fine flour and eggs. Okay, why? What that means, uh, Rosh says it's like a diuretic. Okay, so others say it's the opposite. Okay, and then, and then they said to him, Maybe you shouldn't feed him that because you're going to bring him to become a balakari, which you certainly don't want that tumor to happen. So, again, uh, very hard to know. How that would work today, we'll get the nutritionist and we'll figure it out. But be that as it may, Tanya, we learned the Brisa. Uh, they had a mnemonic for the foods that they wouldn't feed him. Some say don't give him white wine either. What are these mnemonics for? Says the Gemar. Lo avi, avi stands for lo esrog, lo beitzim, lo yain yashan. Right? Esrog, eggs, and Aged wine. For Armory Law, Lo Avavi, and those who use the mnemonic Avavi with the extra base, say Lo Esrog, Lo Beitzim, Lo Basar Shamein, Lo Yain Yashin. Also fatty meat. Don't feed him that. The Yeshamim Aflo Yain Lavan, and why do they say not wine wine? If they say Yain Lavan, maybe it tells them they are Tumah, because that brings you somehow to Tumas Balkari. Um, even if it's not aged, if it's white, no, no good for that. Okay. So, on that note, Tanar Banan, we have a Brisa, Zav Tolan Lobamachal. With regards to a Zav, right, which is a little different than a Balkari, you don't really know what this j- discharge is exactly. Um, and actually, um, you know, th- this is, this is, uh, a, as we know, it's a, but it is a male emission. Vachal Mine Machal. So, what, what's going on here? We, know that this discharge didn't come with a real direct cause and effect external stimulus. So, but we do assume sometimes that this could come from nutrition. You know, you, know, you are what you eat. So, and eating any types of food um, can perhaps bring about the discharge of ziva, of, z- of being a zav. So, it's actually emachlokas. Does it matter? Is there a nutritional uh, component to becoming a zav that predisposes you to that? 
So the Tanakhama says, no. But Rav Lazar Pinchas said in the name of Yudin Vaseo that yes, there is. What are they? Nemanik Chagbi and Gavam. What are those? The Gemara explains. Lo Chagbi. Chagbi is Chalav Gvina Beitz of Yain. That you shouldn't feed a Zav, right, the dairy, the milk stuff, and cheese stuff, and also eggs and um, wine. And, and then Velo Gavam is May Grease and Shilpul. The juice of, of, uh, like beans, uvasar shamein, u muryas. Basar shamein, we know, is fatty meat. What's muryas? Fish fats. Okay. The local tuma. Okay, so these, and then it adds, and, and don't bring him anything that is going to bring tuma. What is this extra stuff? What, what, what is these extra things that we're alluding to? Lasuye mai. What does it mean to include? Lasuye hadatanar banan. Includes what we said. There are five things we said that bring a person to tuma that are going to encourage a discharge. Hashum garlic, as we turn to chesam beis. Vashachalim, vachal galogos, vachal galogos, vabeitzim vagargir. So that obviously is cress, purslane, eggs, and rocket. Wow, what's rocket? Um, and why did we not mention these foods, right, uh, uh, beforehand? Okay, so there's certain foods that you have to avoid for sure, and then there's certain foods that it's just like a good idea to avoid. What's this, but what's, what's this gargir? So gargir is, it's interesting, we're going to get into it a, a little bit more to explain what, what these things are, but um, Rashi says aroga, if that helps you. So, so let's see, so let's see what, the, what this means. So the Gemara is going to discuss the Gargir. Says the Gemara, Okay, we have a Pasuk in Malachim, Bez, it says, somebody went out to the field to gather something called Oros. So Tanamishmei, the Rabbi Meir, Zeh Gargir, Oros is a Gargir. I don't know where Rav gets the word rocket, but anyway. Why were they called Oros? Oros means like lights. Because Shemiros is nine, because they light up your eyes. Or Amaravuna Hamoitzer Gargir, if you find this thing that Rashi calls Aruga, Im Ochlo If he can, he should eat it, because it's great. And if you can't tolerate it, if you're not able to eat it for whatever reason, Vimlav, Mavir al Gabe Enov. Just pass it over your eyes, because apparently it's great for your eyes. It has something to do with the eyes. And Papa Begargira Mitzranaa. Okay, this is only talking about the kind of gargir that is growing sort of at the edge of the field. Mitzrana, as Rashi says. Mitzrana hagadol hameitzar. At the edge. She'en svi vosav zera acher she'yachish koho. Because when it's growing amongst the other plants, so the other plants can somehow diminish its potency. However, if it's growing on its own, it's very, very potent indeed. I want to call it arugula, because I don't know what it is. Excuse me, and Rashi's aruga sounds like arugula, but I have no idea what this is. All right, rocket. Now, let's get back to to this uh, to this balkari um, avoidance. Amar of Gidol Amarav Achsanai Loyochal Beitzim. So this is already not talking about the coin gadol. Arbari Libuitz Shlita said one of the miracles quoted. Uh, I forgot who, who he said in the name of, is that the Kongadol never actually became a Balkari. So this, whatever they did worked. They said, well, if it's a miracle, then why are we bothering so much with this nutrition? So it's just another example of Ein Somchem Malanay. So we said it also by the bread. 
the bread is always going to be fresh, uh, but the construction is such that we don't stack it. We stack it as just the amount of air passing through and all these other things, so that remain fresh. The, I'm talking about uh, the lechem upon him of Shabbos that remained fresh all week long. So we say, well, we have a miracle that it always remained fresh. So, so just like there we said, ain't so so to here, even though it we we were for we you know we had this siyata deshmaya that it never happened. Um, you're not going to be so much on that. You still have to do your hashtadlus. Gavran, what's Muslim moment there? Anyway, Amar Gidol Amarav Achsanai Lo Yochal Beitzim. Okay, you're a guest at someone's house. Don't eat eggs. Why? Velo Yishan Betaliso Shel Barabais, and don't use the host's sheets. Why? So because we say that Rashi Shu Mitzkase Babiyom Shalim Mitzayalei Akari. And also by the Beitzim, he says, So the Mepharshim, uh, beyond Rashi, go into what exactly is going on here. Why dafka eggs? Uh, um, uh, we just listed a whole bunch of things uh, that could bring you to Balkari, and why are we getting involved only with eggs over here? So he said, maybe it's like because the actual egg, when it's raw, looks like carry emission. Bottom line is, try to avoid that um, grossing out your host, I guess. Okay. Now, in, in that sense, Amoraim took a unbelievable, um, kind of like culturally, we can't even understand what this means. There was certain Amoraim who had the following practice when they traveled in order to avoid carry. And this is not nutrition. This is a totally different thing. I, I, what does this even mean? Let's see. Rav, Kimakla the Darshish, when it, Rav apparently had business in Darshish. So whenever he used to visit there, uh, Rashi explains he used to go there a lot. That was his go-to. So he says, Machri, so he would make the following announcement. Man hava liyoma. Anybody want to marry me today? Whoa, what? Rav Nachman kad mikla leshach nitziv, Machri's. And Rav Nachman, he would travel, he would travel to shach nitziv. And he said, Man hava liyoma. Who wants to marry me for, t- for, for the time that I'm here? These are, these are, uh, men who now want to be married while they're there in order to avoid Balkari. What's going on? The Gemara asks, Vatanya, Rebbe Lezman Yaakov Omer, Lo Yisa Adam Isha B'Medina Zu, V'yelach V'yisa Isha B'Medina Acheres. Right, Rebbe we're saying, the Gemara is assuming these were married men. I think they were married men. Right, Rav and Rav Nachman were married. And yet, they're going and they have like a wife at each port. Um, right, so w- what are we? I, I was listening to Ravari Leibowitz outdoors as I was walking, and for the first time, he made me laugh so hard that like people watching m- might have thought I was nuts just laughing in the streets because I, it, it, I wasn't expecting it. But he said, what are these people, NBA players? <laughs> I don't know why, I like that so much. It made me laugh. Anyway, his question was, what are we doing? Why, why is this uh, okay? To have a wife at every port? I mean, what's going on here? Um, who was the first guy who crossed the Atlantic? Um, Charles Lindbergh. Yeah. Lindbergh. He had, uh, he had a wife on either, on, on, he had not just a wife, he had full families on either side of the Atlantic. It was before, uh, it was before texting. And he was the only guy that was crossing it. <laughs> so there was, so he, he established two full fledged families on, on both sides. Anyway. He was supposedly a big anti-Semite. But be that as may, he, what's this idea of, the, the, the problem here is if you have a wife everywhere you go, right, so maybe you avoid Balkari, 
But you all, but what, but you get a bigger problem. Why? Says the Gemara. Shemi is Davguzel Zet. Yeah, but then you have children everywhere. And then you never even know, you know, so, so you can, you can imagine, this is why NBA players, right? You can have like 17 kids all over the country. What happens if one marries another? Well, they're technically siblings. It's going to be mamzerim. You're not allowed to marry a sibling. Concerning this very thing, right, it says the land's going to be filled, right? When it says, this was recent, we read, you shouldn't, this was last week, I think, you should, you should not, um, you know, your daughter shouldn't, sh- shouldn't just be hefker. And that's how the land becomes filled with zima. Everybody becomes mamzerim. Okay. So what are you going to do? So the Gemara answers how this uh, Mamzeris issue is avoided. Amrei Rabbanon Kala Islahu. This sounds, this is like one of those things that makes the issue better, but in a way worse, right? When the rabbis are famous, so their children are known. So it's like, oh, that's Rav Nachman's kids. Can you imagine? Anyway, so once you know it's Rav Nachman's kids, so then they're not going to marry each other because it's known who the dad is, okay? If there's a different issue, Rashi points out, um, it says, Rava says, if a marriage is proposed to a woman and she accepts it, as soon as it's proposed, what this tva'ua, what this proposal means is in itself interesting. What are these Shiva Nakim? Why is she sitting seven days? Um, so Rashi explains something called Machmas Chimud Saddam. This idea of Dam Chimud. Is there such a thing as Dam Chimud? That, so is this even physically true? That when she's anticipating getting married, she sees Dam. So that, that's a whole hack. Ravari Leibowitz gets deep into this idea of dam chimud. After all, when is this tva'ua? Like in our days, for example, if dam chimud was a real thing, then if you say, let's say it happens at Tanaim, well, we're doing the Tanaim, right, uh, half hour before the chuppah. So what? Are we going to say that the chuppah, chalila is a chuppah nida? We try to avoid chuppah nida as much as we can. Sometimes you can't. But as the Gemara's and Alakha points out, if there is a chuppah nida, you're supposed to not even be meyachad with each other afterwards. So there's a lot, a lot of hak, a lot of questions. On this Gemara, Tosfus over here addresses a lot of the questions. We'll highlight some of them. The Gemara answers, Rabbanon Odui Havumoduhulu. That what happens is that the rabbis would, how do you avoid this dam chimud issue? Unbelievable. The, the Rav Nachman and Rav would have like a handler, okay, who would tell people, you know, Rav's going to be here next week and he's, and, and so get, get excited because he might be marrying one of you. Get the Dam Chimud issue out of the way so that by the time they arrive in town, that's out of the way and they get married that day. Can you imagine? So, Miktam Havu Shlucha. They would send, right, a handler, a messenger a week in advance to publicize the fact that, the, that I'm about to come to town, I might be marrying one of you, so let's, let's uh, get ready, okay. Or, another possibility is, maybe they didn't really get married, but they just like kind of went on a date. Well, so of course, Tosos goes nuts. What do you mean they went on a date? First of all, isn't Yichud Aser? And uh, uh, with Anida? I mean, Yichud with your wife, who's Anida, is okay. But, but these are, this is not your wife yet, right? Because if you can't marry her, so then you can't be miyached with her. So what kind of date is this? So he says over here, if a yichud is, is going to be okay here, in this case, they're going to get married and they're not going to, right, uh, they're going to get married, but they're not going to can- consummate the marriage they're, because they're going to get married. She's going to have dam chimud. And then, therefore, once they get married, instead of consummating the marriage, they're just going to, um, they're just going to have a date. So the question is, wait a minute, isn't that, 
putting yourself in a really weird position, and why are you doing this in the first place? You're doing this because you don't want to be a Balkari. So that's going to make it better to marry somebody who's a Nida, and then to just go on a date? How does this even work? So Tosos addresses a lot of these questions. The Gemara simply says, The Gemara explains that Pas Besalo, this is a real... Um, this is a real extension of the idea of pas basalo. Pas basalo typically means that once a, a guy is already married, so he's less likely to be a balkari because it's more like old hat for him. It's, he's, it's in the bag. So he's he got less anxiety, uh, etc., uh, about, about the whole thing and less anticipation. But how is this pas basalo? That Tosos addresses also. Like, is this, pas basalo assumes that you've already had relations, and now it's already pas basalo. But here, this is totally the opposite of that. This is anticipation of relations. She's getting dam chimud. You're having a date. And how is that pas basalo? So, so some Mepharshim will say, well, yeah, just once you already know, that, in other words, pas basalo means that the chase is over, right? Once you already know that it's in the bag, maybe you already calmed down. Uh, very, very, aside from the whole notion of what we're doing here in the first place, is probably the most difficult thing. But even working out the details of how this uh, go out, obviously, culturally, we don't relate to it uh, too well. Uh, we have three minutes. We can read the Mishnah, and then we'll finish it over here. The Mishnah goes on. What goes on after this? Masru Ziknei Bezin Ziknei Kahuna. So finally, the Ziknei Bezdin, the Sanhedrin, they're done with him. They taught him whatever they could. Now they bring him to the Ziknei Kahuna. Ve'alu Bez Aftinas. And they bring him to the Aftinas family office. The Aftinas were the ones that made the Katoras. And they make him swear, right? And then they leave him. What's the swear? What's the oath? We are Shluche Bezdin, the Kohen Hanim of Aftinas. And you are our Shaliach and the Shaliach of Bezdin. We make you swear. In the name of Hashem who's, who occupies his house. That you don't, that you just don't mess it up. Don't change anything. We, we prepared you well. And we did the dress rehearsal. Now go do it and do it well. Then who porish your bochem and portion bochem. Everybody goes over to the corners. The Gemara is going to explain. And they weep. Why do they weep? They weep that they have to have this conversation. Because this conversation shows how, how, how bad things had gotten. That they even have to have this conversation. That, Stuki, that he might be at Stuki and they have to suspect him. It wasn't easy times, so they cried. It was a form of like a little Tishabov over there um, in anticipation of Yom Kippur because of the times that they were living in. Now, if he was in fact was a big Tam Chacham, then this is just saying he has to stay up the night, right? Because we don't want him to be Balkari, he has to stay up all night. So if he's a Tam Chacham, so he's going to stay up and learning Tzais. If not, the Tamir Chacham will read him. If he was literate, he'll read. And if the Kohen Gadol was illiterate, they're going to read to him stories. What kind of stories? So, that they would read him things like Eov and Ezra and Divar Yamim that in those days were exciting. This is, of course, before YouTube and Angry Birds and Netflix and all these other things. The Lahavdil, obviously, right? But those were things that in those days were enough to keep a guy up. What worked for me was Daniel. That always really kept him up, kept his attention, because Daniel is so captivating. And we are now, go, we'll proceed tomorrow with Gemara on the top of your Testament Aleph. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs>